have you ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There certainly are different interpretations of that question, but one thing we should all agree on is that we need to carefully read what Luke, an inspired prophet in the first century, actually wrote in the inspired text about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. With our study leader, Dave Wurtson, let's turn to Acts chapter 19, where Luke does this when he tells a strange story about 12 disciples who claim to be believers, but who had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. If somebody came up to you this week and they said, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit, how would you respond? Well, if you're from a charismatic background, you answer that question and it brings back all these memories of as a little kid, you were in meetings that were very emotional. All of a sudden people would stand up. I've often been in these meetings, people start speaking in, in what they call ecstatic utterances, angelic voices, and it's happening all around you. I've been in groups where maybe there's 50 people all around me speaking in these ecstatic utterances and everything. And, and some of you, especially if you're a more of an objective kind, that scares the willies out of you. It's very scary, okay? Some of you have responded to that. Some of you love that intensity. Some of you love that emotion. Some of you really get into that. And, and if you're from the charismatic background, you are probably taught that you have a second work of grace, that you receive Jesus as your Savior, and then you're forgiven of your sins, and you receive Jesus, and you become born into his family. But then later on, you need to pray through. Maybe somebody even taught you the techniques that you needed to do to be able to speak in tongues, to be able to do this. And in fact, if you're from that background and you never did speak in tongues, and you're probably sitting here going, I guess I don't really have the Holy Spirit. Okay? Am I jiving? Is that anybody on that pilgrimage? Okay. If you're from a charismatic background, I want you to realize that probably somebody sitting next to you is from that background too, because Midlothian Bible Church is filled with lots of Roman Catholics, lots of Assembly of God, lots of what we call neo-charismatics, and I want you to know that we're, we're thrilled to have you. That's what the body of Christ is about, all this diversity that's united in the Spirit. Okay, let me switch gears and talk about the non-charismatics. When you're asked the question, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit, if you're a non-charismatic, because maybe you're reacting to those services I talked about where you might have 50 people speaking at once, you're not really a mystic. If you're from a mystical bent, I'm using mystic in a good sense of being the supernatural is like very permeable. Like in your life, the immediacy of the spirit and the immediacy of divine things is kind of a live thing. That's the good mystical side. I can show you for 2,000 years, Francis of Assisi, for example, is like a classic mystic. And I can give you many other examples of, of that kind of a giftedness in the body of Christ. It's someone that just lives like where the barrier between heaven and earth is almost so permeable by a way. But some of you are more rational. Like Dave Lowry, my friend, is, is, is very objective, and he and I have ministered together for years and years. David is very rational. He's not emotional. When I ask David for an evaluation of a situation, I can count on it, man. He's not going to be blinded by passion. My wife Mary's like that. Mary is very She's an editor. She notices that I didn't put a dot over the I. In this group today, some of you are more engineering, you're scientific, you're objective, and you're not into this. You're, you really want your feet planted. One of the ways to understand yourself, if you're the person I'm talking to right now, your feet are planted firmly on terra firma. 
And you're the one that says, hey, we need to really think through this life and what we're doing now. Anybody identifying with that okay? There tends to be those two groups. All of us, if you're on the mystical side, the charismatic side, if you have a passion for the electricity of those supernatural moments, then you need to listen. If you're on the objective side and you're a little bit scared, in fact, one of the things that's happened, I noticed among believers that are very objective, we can often act as if the Holy Spirit isn't even present. We can act as if the Holy Spirit isn't really needed. And one of the things I want to do as we look at the book of Acts, I want to challenge every single one of you, when it comes to this business of the Holy Spirit, when we get done today, I want you to know for sure that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually does. And then I want, as a church family, to be praying over the next several months that we're going to have incredible control and filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about the curious case, the curious case of 12 disciples who didn't have Jesus and didn't have the Spirit. I want to talk to you about the strange case of 12 disciples who didn't have Jesus and didn't have the Spirit. Turn to Acts chapter 19. This is one of the most curious passages. Dr. Luke set us up for it last week. As I was teaching about Apollos, remember Apollos last week? Apollos was a Jewish guy from Alexandria, a very eloquent, skillful preacher, but he was ministering in the synagogue of Ephesus, and I talked a lot about how there wasn't a division between Christians and Jews. Christianity was actually taking place in the synagogue in the first century. And I want you to think deeply about that. And Apollos was eloquent at talking to the synagogue Jews about John the Baptist. And he told all about how there'd been this great prophet that had come, and he was the last of the old covenant prophets. And he talked about how John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that you needed to respond to the immediacy of the kingdom. And Apollos talked to the synagogue in, in Ephesus. He even talked to them, according to Luke, about Jesus, but he didn't get the whole story of Jesus. And Priscilla and Aquila, what we learned last time we were together, Priscilla and Aquila were believers that knew the Apostle Paul really well, and they understood that John the Baptist was the forerunner that pointed people to Jesus, that you didn't trust the prophet John, you trusted the Savior Jesus, and then Jesus died on the cross for sins, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven, and Priscilla and Aquila filled the palace in on the full message and what Dr. Luke doesn't do, and a lot of you came up to me after I spoke last time, he says, oh, when was Apollos baptized? And when was Apollos baptized with the Spirit, where he got the full message? Well, this is what I want to teach you. The meaning is in the text. Dr. Luke doesn't tell you that. Because if he did, it would ruin his story. If you're a good storyteller, and Luke isn't telling pretend story, he's telling a real story. You need to learn to do this. What Dr. Luke does is he raises that question. What about baptism into Jesus? And what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And by having Apollos move off the scene, Apollos goes down to Corinth and he's preaching and you're going to pick up his story when you read 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians talks to you about the ministry of Apollos and his eloquence in the city of Corinth and the church of Corinth. But what Dr. Luke does is now he has you all asking the question, what about baptism into Jesus and what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He's raised that question in your mind 
He delayed answering it so you'd be ready to listen to chapter 19, verse 1. Look at it, Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It says that the Apostle Paul, who has now returned from making his missionary report, it says while Apollos was at Corinth, so notice how he ties it back into what we learned in the previous section. Apollos was given a letter from the believers in Ephesus. He's gone across the Aegean. He's now in Corinth. Paul took the road, for some of you that are into travel narratives, Paul took the higher road kind of through the mountains. It was a shorter way to arrive at Ephesus. Now he arrives. Paul said earlier in the story that he would come back to Ephesus. And what I want you to get into is the book of Acts is teaching you one of the things that godly men and women do when they tell people they're going to do something, what do they do? When godly people tell people they're going to do something, what do they do? Tell me. When godly people tell people they're going to do things, what do they do? They do it. And see, that's in the flow of the story. Your address, Paul's a good character. As you're reading the account, earlier in our account, Paul said, the Ephesians, the Jewish Ephesians in the synagogue said, we want to hear more from you. And he said, I can't give you more now. I need to go and make this report. Now the writer, Dr. Luke, has taken us and we're back. Paul is now fulfilling his word. Don't miss that. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to generate that in your life. One of the things that will destroy our body is if we don't keep our word with one another. And we tell lies, and we don't keep our word. That's what Paul's teaching us. Then it says this. He he met some curious people. Look what it says. There he found in Ephesus, in other words, he found some disciples. What do you think of it? Did you hear the word disciples? And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's the question I asked you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's the question of our text. How do you answer that question? So you be thinking about that. If Paul asked you the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard about that there is a Holy Spirit. So now the tension, how in the world do you have so-called disciples? They've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. We've got to deal with that. So Paul asked them another question. Then what, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, of turning around, of getting ready for the kingdom of God, of turning away from your evil. That's the idea. He told the people to believe in the one who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues... And they prophesied. And there was about 12 men in all. Then Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They were arrogant. They were prideful. And they started attacking the Apostle Paul's message of the idea. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus And they went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The strange case of 12 disciples without Jesus and without the Spirit. So the very first question that the text raises is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? The Apostle Paul meets these men. 
And just you understand these men, and critical scholars get it wrong. In fact, in church history, there's all kind of discussion because the word disciples usually means when you hear the word disciples and you're reading in the New Testament, what do you automatically think of? Followers of Jesus. What it means, disciple means to follow. And you automatically, especially if I tell you that there's 12 disciples, like if I said to you as an audience, 12 disciples, what do you think of? The 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, the original. Like you think of Leonardo da Vinci's picture that they're all posed for the photograph, you know, all sitting on the same side of the table, right? This is what I want you to learn to do. In the flow of the story, in this case, disciple, and Luke tells you, doesn't mean a follower of Jesus yet. Because Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they responded, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And then it tells us very clearly that Paul went on and explained to them about Jesus, okay? It's why I tell you, you need to begin the beginning of Acts and you need to read through. Because if you just took this section out, you wouldn't get it at all. You see, you wouldn't understand that Luke told you a story about people in Ephesus who heard the message of John the Baptist. In the first century, one of the big movements was the John the Baptist movement. He was a great prophet. He had moral integrity. Like, if you're the kind of a personality that likes someone that's in your face, that has no nice suits, that is a rugged outdoorsman, and when someone commits adultery, like in the political sphere, he just lets them have it. Anybody like that kind of person? Yeah, that's John the Baptist. So John the Baptist produced a following all over the first century world. People came as he was baptizing by the Jordan by the thousands. And there was this incredible people movement. And then they spread out. Some of them went down to Alexandria. And what the text is telling us is is that Apollos from Alexandria brought that same message. And these men, these 12 disciples, they are followers. They are disciples of John the Baptist. But they're not disciples of Jesus yet. They haven't gotten the point. So you say, well, Dave, what is really to me? You know, it's possible as you sit here this morning, some of you are following a great prophet. Some of you are enamored with Jesus. Some of you think Jesus was a great teacher. John the Baptist was a great teacher. Elijah was a great teacher. Isaiah was a great teacher. Jeremiah was a great teacher. Prophets are incredible gifts that God gives to us. But I want you to know that John the Baptist wasn't the Savior. John the Baptist didn't die on the cross for your sins. John the Baptist didn't live forever and ever in eternity past with his father. John the Baptist didn't go into the grave. John the Baptist didn't rise again from the dead. And John the Baptist can't get you one inch closer to heaven. He can't take you to heaven. John the Baptist could never tell you, in my daddy's house, there's a lot of rooms. I live there, and I'm going to go and make one of those rooms for you, and and if I do that, I'm going to come back and get you. No one, no prophet can say that. So the very first thing I want you to understand this morning is the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's possible you didn't receive the Holy Spirit when you believed because you didn't believe in Jesus. Because you you believed in a good teacher, You, you believed in a good prophet. But now you're getting the full message. Like, and what I just share with you, I challenge you, that's what the book of Acts is about. What I just summarized about Jesus is not what I believe about Jesus. It's what I've learned from the inspired text of the book of Acts, which is why we center in that. 
And the Apostle Paul isn't angry with these men. He doesn't refute them. What he does is complete them. And that's what I want you to learn to do. Like, there's a lot of people that you meet with, they're not antagonistic. They just don't have the whole message yet. That makes sense? And the Apostle Paul is teaching us how to interact with people that might even be in a Jewish synagogue. They might be on the way. They've listened to some of God's prophets, but they need to be brought into all the truth. You say, well, Dave, how in the world can someone never have heard of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that a good question? If you're a Jew and you're from the Old Testament, the Old Testament isn't really clear that there's a third person of the Trinity. It's very clear that God is spirit. And so, like, you even start out, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. So you start out the Bible with the Spirit. But it could be just like I can say, well, David's spirit was anxious. Could I say that? What I would mean was my personal spirit was anxious and stressed. That wouldn't mean that there's a separate spirit, a personality called David's spirit. You see, David is David. He has spirit. Jesus and God the Father both have their own spirit in that sense. But what the New Testament in the fullness of Revelation reveals through Jesus is that we're to be baptized in the name, one God, of the Father who has full personality, of the Son who has full personality, intellect, emotion, and will, and who else? The Holy Spirit. That's Matthew 28. That's one of your really clear passages that says the Holy Spirit is fully a person. Very important, okay? Then I want you to understand that Jesus, in the Last Supper discourse, if you want to learn about how Jesus prepared the disciples that followed him, getting ready for the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 14 through 17, he focuses on the Spirit. And he says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send another comforter, another one that will come alongside you, who will be just like me, only he's going to live inside of you. And John 14 through 17, the apostle John gives a very full discussion of the person of the Holy Spirit and teaches you how he's going to be the gift of the ascended Christ. Then when we began the book of Acts, we are yearning for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it happened. So these 12 Jewish Ephesian synagogue worshipers, they've never had someone tell them that there's a third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. And what Paul goes on and teaches them is what I just taught you. And I want you to understand it. And I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says. This question is very important. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So according to Paul, what is necessary to receive the Holy Spirit according to the text? Everybody tell me, you must do what? Believe. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to fill in, what does it mean to believe? Like, who do you believe in, and what does it mean to believe? Notice when he responds, they said, we never heard of the Holy Spirit. So Paul, in verse 4, look what it says. Paul answers their question. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. So who are you supposed to believe in? Are you supposed to believe in John the Baptist? No, you believe in the one that John the Baptist pointed you to. And Dr. Luke would expect you to go on to know that the one that you believe in is Jesus. 
And he would expect you to know that he told in his gospel account, we're going to call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from his sins. He would expect you to know all the miracles that Jesus did. He would expect you to know what he told Theophilus in Luke chapter 1. So if you don't know, that would be a neat assignment. Just read through the book of Luke, and you could learn about what Dr. Luke means when he talks about Jesus. And I'm summarizing it for you. So the Apostle Paul tells these group of disciples who only have the baptism of John, what you need to do is to believe in Jesus, and that's a big decision time. What are these guys going to do? Notice what it says. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. These were about 12 men in all. So what happened? The Apostle Paul, when he completed the message, pointed them to Jesus, it was response time. And so these 12 Jewish men took their confidence and their trust and relying upon John the Baptist, they were on the way. You see, they were people that were listening, that were responding, and you could almost guess the way they would respond when they heard the full truth. And that's why Luke tells you. As soon as they heard about Jesus, what did they do? They trusted him. So I want to ask you this morning, the very first thing that's really important is, have you ever come to the place in your life like these 12 Jewish men? It's not about religion. These are Jewish men in the first century. Have you genuinely believed in Jesus? Luke uses the word belief not just to be, I know the facts about Jesus. That's not what it means to believe in the book of Acts. It means that you turn away, that you realize, I've been part of darkness. I've been part of deadness. I've been part of sin. And I can't ever get my act, like repentance isn't seeking to get your act cleaned up in your own strength, but it's realizing I've got a big problem. I need forgiveness for my sins. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is my savior, but I want to be a prostitute for Jesus. I want to be a bank robber for Jesus. You live in a day where people say, I follow Jesus, but they don't have any sense of sin. That's not going to work. You don't trust in a savior if you think you're swimming great. If you think you're making it across the Boulder River when the river is really high and you think you can make it and you're not being swept towards the Yellowstone, you're not going to grab a hold of the life savior that I send to you, that I throw out to you on a rope. You got to realize you're being swept away. You're drowning. That's what Paul says and Luke says. What it means to trust in Christ is that you realize, hey, I'm being swept away, and yet Jesus is the lifesaver that's been sent to me. And this is what it means to trust. When you're drowning in a river, you don't say, well, I know that that life thing will float. I know that it'll hold up a 250-pound man. I know that it has nylon rope, and it's woven together, and it'll hold, and it will pull me in. You're gone. When I've done this in my own life for real, when someone's drowning and I throw them a life-saving device, they grab it. That's what it means to trust. When I ask all of you today, have you grabbed Jesus like that? Have you grabbed Jesus like that? And if you haven't, then you can write where you're sitting now. This Holy Spirit that the followers of John didn't even know about, he's really alive, and right now he's talking to your heart. That's one of the most powerful things that he does is he talks to your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit talked to Pat about going to Clyde's and wouldn't let him get away from that. 
Well, the same thing happens if, you're, if you haven't become one of God's children yet. You haven't trusted the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in your heart. And the decision you need to make is I need to nail down and grab hold of Jesus. I need to trust in Jesus. I need to put my confidence in Jesus. I need to believe in Jesus. You got that? Now, a lot of you have done that. If you haven't, do it right now, right where you're sitting. Jesus will enter your life. The second thing I want to know is most of you have received Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul is really clear. Paul is teaching you when you believed in Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. Very important. Remember he asked him, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So the question raised is, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? And I want you to be really clear on this. You don't receive the Holy Spirit because someone trains you or teaches you techniques. Like one thing I know for sure, you're in a church family, we're not close to supernatural demonstrations. We believe in supernatural. I want Ethan to be powerfully, miraculously healed. I want us to have incredible manifestation of the Spirit. I want the Spirit to powerfully work the next several months because the Holy Spirit is the one that causes this church to be alive. I want some of you that are concerned about that, I want you to realize we need filling of the Holy Spirit, not Dave. Very important to understand that. If you're from a charismatic background, I want you to be at home and I want you to grow. This is an incredible place to be because you bring that fervency of the Spirit, the immediacy of the Spirit. But I want you to understand that the Bible could not be clearer. And a lot of my charismatic friends that agree with me about the priority of the authority of the Bible totally would agree with what I'm teaching you is that the Holy Spirit comes into your life when you believe. So if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you might be ignoring the Holy Spirit. You might be acting as if he's on your life. But I want you to know the moment you trusted in the Son of God, he came into your life. You say, well, Dave, what's proof of that? When Cornelius was listening to Peter speak, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and all of his household. It was as they heard Peter speak. Peter wasn't teaching them. Now, if you repeat the divine name over and over again, you'll be able to do this. Listen, I can teach you that in Buddhism. You don't need Jesus to do that. You understand what I'm saying? That all the Buddhists and Hindus do that. That's not what we're talking about. I can teach you magical techniques, and that's not going to be the real Holy Spirit. The real Holy Spirit is a person. He does his thing. And you don't have to go through rituals to do it. You don't need someone to train you how to do the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been in situations where someone worked and worked and worked and worked with them to try to teach him to speak in tongues, and they never got it. And so they've gone for many years feeling, I don't have the Holy Spirit in their life. Speaking in languages you haven't studied is just one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's just one of the gifts. I have the gift of teaching. Right now, the Holy Spirit is working through my mind and my heart and my hands. I'm desperately in need of his incredible indwelling. And I know for sure that when I received this as my Savior, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and he gave me the gift of teaching. Each one of you have gifts. Now, in the book of Acts, especially when you move into new areas, especially when the gospel's breaking into new areas, one of the manifestations of the Spirit is often speaking in tongues. Not always, but often it is. And sometimes, like in the story of Samaria, it's delayed. In other words, the manifestation of the Spirit waits till apostles come. 
And that's true in this passage. One of Luke's arguments, I want you to really get this. I'm not an apostle. I want all of you to know you can disagree with me. After church, you can take the book of Acts and you can debate with me. That's fine. I'm not an inspired apostle. I have to get to the Spirit to teach you, but I'm not an inspired apostle or prophet. And one of the things I want you to see in the first century church is the apostle Luke is very careful to make sure that it's the laying on of hands of Paul who is one of the apostles in 1 Corinthians. He's an eyewitness of Jesus. Because one of the things that Dr. Luke is really careful to do, we need to ground this Christian movement. We need to ground the followers of Jesus in the apostles' witness. And at this point in the book of Acts, the New Testament isn't written yet. It's a living inspired. The the apostles are traveling. Paul's one of them. And they're writing inspired letters. And they're giving inspired messages. And Dr. Luke has really strong for you to understand that it's the laying on of the hands of the apostles. In our own day, I hear a lot of talk about apostles. And it's used often of personality type. Strong, visionary, strategic, moving out to a broader part of the body of Christ. I agree with all that. I'm a little bit concerned about calling them apostles because it's very easy to put a modern-day powerful leader on the poor with the Apostle Paul. And you listen to them. In fact, if I could tell you this morning, put Acts away. Put Acts away. I got a message from the Spirit this week. You don't need the book of Acts. And then I use my speaking gift, just like I've done in sales conventions. I could use my speaking gift to just make you high as a kite. And, man, I can get you moving. I can use all kinds of techniques, man. I can get you really roaring, man. I can get you to speak in languages you never studied. I can give you a touch of heaven. But if I take you away from this book and you don't read it this week, you'll be led into error. And that's what I'm really concerned about. There's a lot of believers, you see, they're following the immediacy of the electrical, mystical power. And it's not grounded, it's not plugged in to the text where the Holy Spirit is always speaking. And what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit, according to Dr. Luke, he waited till they were connected with the Apostle Paul because he didn't want these 12 Jewish synagogue worshipers that now have to get to the Holy Spirit creating a whole other movement up there in Asia that's divorced from Jerusalem, divorced from Paul, divorced from Romans. You need to understand it's very important. So he made them wait, and when the apostle Paul put his hands on them, that's when they spoke in foreign languages. In Corinthians, there's debate about the tongues of angels, like about tongues, like some of you are afraid about tongues, down through church history. In the book of Acts, in Acts 2, Jews, a large number of Jews, heard their heart language. Whatever you believe about tongues, in the book of Acts, in Pentecost, they didn't speak heavenly languages that nobody ever heard before. The point of the text is Jews that had been scattered all over the world, that had now become Elamites, had now become Alexandrian Jews, had now become Cretan Jews, had now become Roman Jews, If I was from Rome as a Jew at Pentecost, I heard Latin from men that had never studied it and women that had never studied it. I heard them praising God in Latin. That's what they did. 
If I was a Persian way off in the east of modern-day Iran, I heard my heart language from that area. And the reason I was so is because in the book of Isaiah, God says, I'm going to scatter you, and it's going to be great judgment, and you're going to not understand. You're going to be in foreign language. One of the scariest things about being in a foreign land is you can't understand anything anymore. You're like a little deaf and dumb kid because you don't understand everything. And that was part of God's judgment for the Jewish people. But in the New Testament, he brought them back for Pentecost. Now they understand all those foreign languages, and the Spirit came upon these 120, and he lovingly proclaimed to these Jews that now speak all those languages. And they remembered what Isaiah said, I'll speak to you through unknown tongues, through language you don't understand. We're in a Jewish context in the city of Ephesus, in the synagogue. And once again, Jews need to be reminded this is a new covenant. Corinthians is another story, and I wouldn't go to the stake for the fact that there aren't angelic languages. I have dear friends that have spoken in tongues all night and prayed for me in tongues. And they don't know what they said, but man, I know that the Lord used their prayers. For example, when I was speaking in Albania or when I went to Moldova, I, I don't want to quench any of the manifestation of the Spirit. But I want to make it really clear, Paul, that laid his hands on these 12 Jews, and they all spoke in languages they hadn't studied, and then they prophesied, which in this context, like the Samaritan situation, prophecy in this context means that they proclaim the great wonders of God. They praise God. That's what we need to do in the beginning of our service when we sing together. We need to declare the great wonders of God. We need to exalt him. We need to, we need to thank him and praise him. That's what they did. They were ecstatically filled with incredible enthusiasm and they bless God, and we can all do that. But Paul made it really clear. Some of you are quiet, and you know what? You're not going to ever jump up and down. And you're not going to speak in languages you haven't understood. Some of you are going to strategically plan how we can get several hundred kids in here for Awana and keep them safe. And we desperately need the filling of the Holy Spirit in your administrative gift to make children learn about Jesus. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Corinthians spoke in tongues more than any other church in the New Testament. And they're the most immature church. And Paul told them this in 1 Corinthians. Do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? He said, do all have spiritual gifts of teaching? He says, do all have spiritual gifts of administration? That's why I threw that in. How did Paul answer that question in 1 Corinthians 12? Everybody tell me really loud. How did Paul answer that question? The Holy Spirit isn't a cookie-cutter industrialist. He makes every single one of you. In fact, I believe he's molded every single one of you. You really don't have one gift. You have a multiplicity of unique individual gifts. That's you. Anointed by the Holy Spirit that fits right in the body of Christ where you need to be fit. So as I close today, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Everybody tell me. If you believed in Jesus, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? If you believe in Jesus, I want you to tell me really loud because I want you to practice. The next time someone asks you, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit, how are you going to answer? Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Are you going to be intimidated? Are you going to feel insecure? 
No, I want you to say to them, man, I, I'm so excited. Let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believed in Jesus. Have you? Tell me about when you believed in Jesus. And I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, do we need filling of the Holy Spirit? Yes. So as we close our service, let's just pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us more control of his spirit, more expression of his gift, more conviction of our anger and to turn away from anger. That's what the Holy Spirit really wants to do, all of those things, so that we might have the word of God spread all over, not Asia, but we want it to spread all over Texas and then all over the United States and all over the world.